Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And troubling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of God. What an incredible story. Amen? Man, an awesome story. Good morning, family of God. Good morning. Don't you feel the joy of the Lord with us this morning? Do you feel it? I feel it. God is with us. God loves us. I'm excited to preach to you today a story that is super encouraging. Don't you feel the encouragement in the story as you read the text? Do you feel the encouragement coming from the, 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 the brothers Paul and Silas, the jailkeeper, rejoicing in the Lord? I am so excited to preach this to you. Fam, our sermon title today is Joy Through the Saving God. Joy Through the Saving God. As we continue our theme of old stories of today's hope, I hope today that you experience more joy in your life than what you had when you came in these doors. There are four characters in the story today, but the star in the story is God. How in the world do they all get to this place? How do they get to this story? Well, let me go back a couple chapters in the book of Acts. We learn of our first or our second character, actually. God is the first character. Our second character, Paul, also known as Saul in Acts chapter 7. There was a man named Stephen who was handpicked deacon in God's church. And he was a man full of wisdom. He was giving one of the best summaries on the nature of the kingdom of God and Israel's murky murky past when it comes to the way that they treated the prophets. And so they treated him as well. 
They had enough of him proclaiming the truth of God. They had enough of that. And they took Stephen outside the city and threw rocks at him until he passed into new life. Before he passed, God honored his last request. And much like Jesus on the cross asked God to not hold this murderous sin against them. Stephen asked God in Acts 7, chapter 60, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Then he died. Paul was there. In fact, it says he approved of Stephen's death in Acts chapter 8. And then eventually got even more authority to persecute Christians. Paul was not on the right track, y'all. But Paul and maybe others there at Stephen's death reaped the fruit of Stephen's prayer. Because after trying to take down the whole church of Jesus, which he could not do, throwing any follower he could into jail cells, God intervened on a road to Paul's next persecution parade. Paul finally meets his maker who confronts him by saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus meant his body, the church, something that Paul would get later as he meditated on how the body of Christ works. Christ being the head. No, Paul did not die in that circumstance. Instead, he becomes blind on that road. And it was all due to a great light that came around him. Paul repents of his grievous sins against the church of Jesus Christ and prays and fasts and waits on the Lord in Damascus. Meanwhile, our main character, God, Jesus is at work preparing a man named Ananias, a disciple of Jesus who was in Damascus at the time. No coincidence. Ananias comes and proclaims that God has sent him and that Paul had been chosen to take the gospel to, the, to uh, Jesus to the Gentiles or all those who are not Jews by birthright. And there would be much suffering involved. Immediately, like scales, Paul's blindness fell off his eyes, and he was able to see again. And out of obedience to Christ, Ananias baptizes Paul right on the spot. Then Paul went to work preaching the good news, astonishing the Jews, like, hey, dude, I was just killing everybody? Wasn't that the dude was just throwing people in jail, like... As he was preaching the good news of Jesus, he was making some of them angry. Angry enough to kill him. He experienced what he did to the people he was persecuting. Ananias certainly asked questions of the Lord when asked to go to Paul. And all the rest of the disciples did as well. They did not believe him, which is fair enough considering what Paul did. But there was one man named Barnabas, a man of means who became to the apostles a man of good works, and they deemed him son of encouragement. It was Barnabas who came along Paul, who validated Paul as a true disciple, and then he goes on a crazy journey with Paul, sent by a local church in Antioch, where the term Christians was first coined. Now, I don't have time to summarize all the crazy stories, but go and read Acts chapter 9 through Acts chapter 15. 
this week. It's real, real tight. For real. You should go read it. It's dope. It's fire. But along the way, that power team hit a bit of a scuffle in regards to who they should continue with on the journey. And that missionary band breaks up and goes their separate ways in Acts chapter 15. But the major thing is, is that it wasn't so bad that the church did not continue sending Paul and Barnabas. They commissioned Paul, Paul taking Silas, our third character in today's story, who was awesome. Silas, there's not a lot to be known of Silas up to this point, but it says he was a prophet and he encouraged the church in Antioch. But now he's on a missionary team with Paul. Along the way, they picked up Timothy, a disciple of Christ, who is like ride or die for Jesus. He joins the crew as well. Paul gets this dope dream, referred to as a Macedonian call, of a man saying, please, come help us. Come share Jesus with me. So they get up and pack their stuff, and they get ready to go. They touch down in Philippi, which is the leading city in Macedonia and meet a woman of means named Lydia who opens her heart to the gospel. God is saving people, y'all. Do you hear this? God is on the move. As per Badum, Lydia was baptized and immediately exercised her hospitality gift by opening up her home. She became a person of peace to them, a home base for their missionary band. As they were going to the place of prayer to pray, They encounter a slave woman who had a spirit of divination on her. And she kept pestering them, going around telling the truth about them, that they were servants of God sent to tell them the way of salvation. But it annoyed Paul. So he had that spirit come out of her to stop messing up the ministry that he was doing. Now that made the slave woman's owners mad. They're like... That dude's messing with my money. See, that girl, that slave girl, had a fortune-telling gift. She made a lot of money for that slave owner. So when Paul cast that spirit out of her, all that money and all them dreams looked like it was going out the window. So they said, "Mm mm-mm, you need to get up out of here. Took him, Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> beat him down, beat Silas down. And then they gave him to the jailer, the fourth character in our story today. See, we don't know very much about the jailer in this story. We don't know about his past, we don't know about that, but we do know his future. God knew who needed to be at that jail cell that night. He was at the right place at the right time. God is sovereign. God is in control. This season, do you believe that God is in control? Is he in control of your life? Yes, he is. Can you trust him? Amen, you can In the Roman Empire, 
Jails were lent out to private individuals who lived there with their families. So this jailer was a family man, probably a middle-class man, working for the man, doing his job, getting paid, and then going home. Tonight was a bit different. He takes these men, throws them to inner prison, which is more like a cave, and then puts stocks on their feet, which probably pushed Paul and Silas up against the wall. Now, they were already bleeding and hurting from these wounds that they got on their backs. Exposed wounds pushed up against the wall. Sounds horrible, doesn't it? That's terrible. Then in verse 25, something amazing happens. Something amazing happens. Verse 25 says, about midnight, midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, literally, it was midnight, and they were undoubtedly hurting. But where did they learn this resilient joy? Where did they get the strength? Well, they had stories. And the words of Jesus passed on to them. For them, it wasn't just words that Jesus said, but it was reality to them. Jesus once said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They heard stories and they knew of the cross of Jesus Christ. They had models like Peter who were strengthened by the Lord in times of trouble. Paul has heard of this before when he was in Jerusalem through Peter and the other apostles in Acts chapter 5. When he was under Gamaliel, he had seen this modeled while on the other side. Now, with a proper lens of Christ, he probably knew that God was really in control. They had past experiences, too. You can read about that in Acts chapter 13, verses 50 and 51, in which it seemed to be the momentum of their lives. Their souls were ready for prayer and worship in this bad situation before they ever hit the situation. I just want to say something to anyone in here who might be going through some bad stuff this season. Your joy can be in Jesus through anything. Let me say that one more time. Your joy can be in Jesus through anything. I know it feels impossible. But listen, it's not. I know it feels like there's no way, but there is. Give God a chance to give you true joy in this season, friends. Pray to him. Worship him in singing and watch your soul lift. If you have ever had a bad situation happen to you and you started praying, and your situation didn't change, but your heart did. Can I get an amen? amen? 
if you ever started singing to Jesus and your heart was about to go crazy and then the peace of God came over you, can I get an amen? Amen. If you ever had your life go crazy and you went to a Bible study anyways and you started teaching kids about something, about Jesus, and it gave you more joy, can I get an amen? amen? That is God at work in you to give you real joy, to sustain you, and to remind you that joy is not found in your circumstances. Or according to Tim Mackey, I love the Bible Project, y'all. I love the Bible Project. It's so good. Tim Mackey is a Hebrew scholar and also the maker of the Bible Project on YouTube. He says, joy is an attitude of happiness not because of happy circumstances in themselves, but because of the hope you have in his love and promise. That is not to say that God longs to keep us in hard situations, but God is good. His ways are true always. We may not know why in the process, but we do know the end, and that's our hope, joy. Unhindered like Uh, Brother Kent was praying, never-ending joy through a saving God. We can have hope and pray and sing to that end, right, church? I mean, we teach it all the time. I got joy in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. Spell it, J-O-Y, down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. Who put it there? Jesus put it there. And nothing can destroy, destroy, destroy. I've got joy down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. That is way different, way different than the way the world looks for happiness. Do you understand what we're teaching our children when we sing that song? Have you taken time to think about the message you're giving to your kids? It's way deeper than we let on. The kind of joy seen in this story is something that the world knows not of. It can't be taken from us. Literally in this story, some dudes and powers and principalities, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we don't wrestle against them in Ephesians 6. They tried to stop They're praying. Remember, they were going to a house of praying. They were on their way to praying in the synagogue. They ended up praising Jesus in the jail cell. For them, it didn't matter where it was or how, they were going to pray and worship. This is all because they've come to know the one who has been resurrected. Do you want this joy, church? You got to stick with Jesus. Do you want this joy, friends, who don't know Jesus? And you got to meet Jesus. What about the jailer? The jailer probably heard their praise. It was probably shaking him into faith before the earthquake ever put him on his knees, trembling with fear before them. The jailer had thrown him in there. Possibly heard them praising and praying and was like, y'all crazy. Your fake God have himself. And then he fell asleep. 
He was out like a lamp. Either the earthquake wasn't that big of a deal or God ordained him to sleep through it, to create the circumstance. Here's why I think it's the latter in this case. Verse 26 says, and suddenly there was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Now, how do you sleep through an earthquake of that magnitude? When the jailer woke, he about took his life. But all of them were still there. This is Paul and Silas and the rest of the prisoners. No one knows if they were all just afraid to leave because they thought the jailer would strike them down. No one knows if the whole prison was converted or if the influence of Paul and Silas and the joy they had and the cachet they had from praying and God literally shaking the earth around them led them to having clout. No one knows, but the other prisoners stayed with them and apparently was listening to them. Who knows why everyone stayed motivationally, but I do know God was in control. An earthquake shook the foundation and opened a way out through God's power. The shackles were off their feet so they could dance, which was by God's doing. Y'all know that song. Shackles off my feet so I can name. <laughs> but shockingly, Paul and Silas and the crew stayed. Though they were free, they stayed. I bet they knew what was at stake for the jailer. The punishment for a jailer whose imprisoners escaped could be death. But even still, they had a higher purpose to be centered in God's will who had them stay. You know this had to be God, y'all. God doesn't waste a thing. He is not wasting Paul and Silas's broken back. He is not wasting the stress put on the jailer. God is a saving God. He desires that none should perish, but that all would receive eternal life if they would only come to him. It took this jailer almost losing his life to come to Jesus. So he gets his lights and runs in and sees everyone still in the cell. What a relief. Man, everybody's still here. But then realizes the grave error he has made in treating them so poorly and the compassion these people in jail treated him with. And he falls down at the disciples' feet and asks them, What must I do to be saved? Now, I know I bet a bunch of y'all are like, man, I wish God would give me a fastball like that. What must I do to be saved? Yep, I got it. We hitting that at the park. Somebody coming to Jesus today. Somebody getting saved. But for some of y'all, the pressure's on at this point. Maybe you would feel insecure in this moment. 
Worry that you are about to say all the wrong stuff. Haven't studied enough. I am not a professional pastor like Chauncey. I'm not gifted like Greg to share the gospel. But check this out. You ready for this? Check this out. Look at what they say. What a great word and a simple one as well. As well. All they say is this. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's it. Let that sink in. This Christmas, there's no doubt, y'all, there's no doubt that there are going to be people around you thinking about all kinds of questions pertaining to salvation. You don't have to have all the answers. Just point them to Jesus. God has been working for a while in their lives already. You don't have to worry. Pray and point them to Jesus and it'll be all right. He just said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What a simple statement with massive and unsearchable death, depth. But maybe for someone in here, that seems still kind of scary. Maybe for someone in here, that freed you from the small sliver of anxiety around the Christmas holiday or the fear associated with gospel sharing this Christmas. Guys, you don't have to be the best strategist. Go for it. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Say it. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Go ahead and say it. It's the Christmas season, y'all. At your lunches and dinner tables and parties with family and friends, there will probably be a time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is coming for sure. There's no doubt about that in my mind. That is true. You can go ahead and start preparing right now if you want to. Grow your skills. Work on your technique. Learn the gospel message more fluently. But did Paul and Silas start with some speech of eloquence? No, they did not. They just said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So don't worry about having it all down perfectly. In fact, for me personally, my greatest lessons have come through the mess ups and rejection. God converts hearts. We just need to trust and obey. Now let's get back to the story. I got off track a little bit. Okay, I got a little off track and... In my, I'm, I'm still kind of off track a little bit. Um, okay. In verse 32, you see something really powerful as well. See, it wasn't just about believing in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved in this circumstance. They spoke with their whole household because Paul and Silas said that the gospel was for his whole household. Much like was the case for Cornelius with Peter or Lydia's family in the same chapter, chapter 16. It was so beautiful. His whole family came to know Christ. What, what potential does the gospel have to move through the family? Listen, another reason you have to be afraid in this season is because you are not alone in sharing this. You don't have to be. 
Maybe for some of you, this could be a time you hit up the homie Christian right here. Or you hit up Sister Clarissa over there. And you ask them to come with you to sit down and unpack the gospel. After all, Paul and Silas were a team. We don't have to do it alone. Verse 32 says, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Maybe they shared their testimonies with them. Maybe they shared more specifically in judicial terms, since he was in that world, what it, what it, what it meant to be for God to be the judge and the condemned at the same time. Maybe since it was his whole household, they talked about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension of Christ and through the lens of the hospitality of God. Maybe they did that. But whatever it was, look what it led to next in verses 33 through 34. And he took some of them, excuse me, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. What a cool, cool story, y'all. What is cool about this is that there's a clear indication of repentance and a changed heart. This man cared nothing for their wounds beforehand. After meeting Jesus, he's now... Come here, man. I'm so sorry. Let me clean your wounds up. I'm sorry I did that to y'all. Please forgive me. He's washing their wounds. He who caused them more pain is now actively bending over to serve them. His repentance was real, y'all, and it led to much rejoicing. Reconciliation between the oppressor in the situation and the oppressed. Soul rest for the tormented jailer's soul. Table fellowship between Jew and Gentile. New family. Hospitality. New joy planted in this man's whole family through the gospel of Jesus Christ. A church was planted in Philippi with this jailer and his family. Lydia, a rich woman with influence and her family. And hopefully the slave woman who was freed from that divination spirit. What an odd mix, but what joy. The joy for this jailer and his family could only come through Jesus, y'all. What Paul and Silas bared on their backs were the marks of Christ that the persecuted church is still speaking to us today. Or as Paul says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church in Colossians 1, 24. Through their joyful praying, singing in the midst of evil, they participated in God's liberating work of an enslaved man. Through Jesus' stripes, the world is healed, and they were participating in that. Who was really free and joyful in the beginning of our text? Paul and Silas. Who was in bondage and in fear? The jailer. It was clear he almost compulsively thrust himself on a sword, on his own sword to avoid the terror of the Roman evil, wicked machine that it was in the terrifying 
crucifixions that they, they did to people. Christ knew that terror personally. He overcame anyways. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross in Hebrews 12 too. The most free person in the world was Jesus. And yet he came and bound himself to human frailty and entered the world in the most vulnerable of ways, a baby in a manger in a lowly place. It is through Jesus who came for us, God in the flesh, that our joy could be in a God who saves. Church family, won't you believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved? Won't you believe in the Lord Jesus and have resilient joy, unshakable joy this holiday? Won't you share the joy you have with others this Advent season? That's the privilege and the joy we get to have in this season. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the joy that we have in Jesus. We get an opportunity, an opportunity in season. No, we don't have to have it all right. But Lord, you give us an opportunity to testify to the truth. And Father, we get to have joy because of what Jesus did for us. The work that Jesus did, dying on the cross for our place. Lord, I pray that as we think and meditate and celebrate in this season, the baby who came for us, the Savior of this world, Lord, it would give us unshakable joy. Father, would you help us to understand this in Jesus' name? Amen.